Welcome to Grace. We're glad you're here. We're one church meeting in three locations, and uh, we have Paulding and Grace Point up at Toledo tuning in for part of our services, I think, at least today, and, and several people live streaming in. And we have a video venue uh, in Bloomville on Saturday nights, and so we welcome them as well. We're, we're excited that you're here. Uh, we've, like I was just saying, last Sunday I, I was gone, I was in San Antonio. And so I was able to live stream into the service, and that was so cool. Saw the listen to the music, uh, saw and listened to, to Zach preach. It was just a, a great day that way. And, and we have several people doing that right now. As a matter of fact, one of the people tuning in right now is Kent Cartwright. And I know a lot of you have been praying for him. Uh, he's in a, a huge battle with cancers at Cleveland Clinic right now. And I was able to see Kent and Lynn a Friday night up in Cleveland Clinic, and I just want to let you know, even though they've, they've heard some hard news recently, uh, they're still fighting. We're still praying that, uh, that God will turn this around, that he'll get stronger, and we want you to keep praying too. As a matter of fact, I'd like to pray for Kent right now. Uh, Father, we thank you for Kent and Lynn and what they mean to our church family, and we just thank you that uh, he's been such a good leader in our church and Lord, he's in this struggle physically, and Father, we pray that you would strengthen him and ultimately heal him. Father, we, we pray that you give the doctors wisdom for the best course of treatment for him. And, uh, and Lord, we're not giving up, and we're asking you to spare his life. And Father, we bring him back to us because we need him here at Grace. God, thanks in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> so please keep them in your prayers. Um, I just said that uh, Pam and I were in San Antonio, and we went down there. Our youngest got married a few weeks ago, and she married Calvin Spriggs. He's stationed down in uh, San Antonio, Texas. And so we went to take her car down, so we drove her car down to her. Nice parents, right? Pam and I, I should get you know, something for that. Yeah, we drove her car down to her because she was like a cage animal. I mean, you know, she could not leave her house. We took her car down to her, and we had a great time in San Antonio, and then we flew back. But while we were there, which I had been to San Antonio before, didn't realize how big of a town it was. It's been a few years. But I got to see the Alamo. They have a great river walk. If you're ever down there, you don't want to miss that. We just had a great time. But the Alamo especially, I had been there before. Actually, last year, I read a book like this thick about the Alamo. Don't know why. Didn't know I'd be there the next year. But Alamo is kind of unique. Unique, I, I think it kind of captures our imagination a little bit. A couple hundred men um, in the uh, battle for Texas uh, defied Santa Ana's army, 1,500 men strong, and stood their ground, and they gave their lives for what they thought was right. And that really ties into what we're talking about, we're beginning to talk about today. We're in a, a new series. It's called Off the Chain, and I love that name. It's about Galatians. It's really just study through the book of Galatians. And Galatians is basically a defense of the gospel. And so he opens up that way. It's a defense of the gospel. And I know, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And I know some of you are thinking, well, hey, Kevin, I'm already a Christian. You know, I've already heard the gospel. I've already responded to the gospel. I get it. So I can really kind of tune out today and kind of coast through this one because I got this one in the bank. But notice, Paul's writing to a church, to churches in this region, Galatia. 
And they're all thinking the same thing, no doubt. And Paul has a lot to say to them, just like he does to us today. So we're going to launch into that in just a moment. And also today, we have baptism. So it's Baptism Sunday, so we're really excited about that. As a matter of fact, if some of you are sitting right here, and you have talked to a pastor, and you've done all that stuff, and and you know you're signed up for baptism, and and you're ready to, to roll, right now you could stand up and just head out those doors right there by the exit sign. And there's people to take care of you. So I know it's a little intimidating in a service. Just stand up and head right out. Yeah, we, we appreciate you. And uh, we're glad that you're taking this stand, this step in your faith. And it's fantastic. So just head right on out those doors. We've got some people that will kind of give you some instructions, get you rolling. And, uh, and we'll see you in a few minutes uh, right in the middle of our, our sermon time. So we're, we're excited about that, that decision that you guys are making. So now, Paul is writing these believers, just like he's, he's letting us know this, and it's the beginning of the book of Galatians. They're still coming. This is great, isn't it? That's good stuff. <laughs> he's writing to the Galatians, and I want us to pick it up Right from the beginning, Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. And and here's what he writes. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father And the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of, or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. For I'd have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from men nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So very interesting the way Paul starts this. Actually, as we look at Paul's letters, there's something strikingly absent here. Normally, Paul would start a letter, and he would. back then they started letters which made a lot of sense. Basically, hey, I'm Kevin, and I'm writing to you, so-and-so, where you don't have to find out who's writing it until the very end. And so he starts out that way. And then there would be some sort of a salutation, greetings. And then in every other letter that Paul writes, usually there's some sort of a prayer 
or I thank God for you. You know, I thank God for your ministry or, you, you know, what's happening in your church or whatever. But here that's absent. He does the salutation and then immediately he launches in verse 6 into this, wow, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting. You know, and all of a sudden we're like, wow, strong language. <clears throat> and, his, and the reason he's doing that is because he's so concerned about the gospel. Now, and he mentions that in the section I read, I think five times the word gospel shows up. And now gospel just simply translated into English means good news. And specifically when we refer, refer to the gospel, we mean the specific good news that even though we've all been estranged from God, separated from God by our sins, all of us, Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life, and died in our stead, paid our penalty for sin so that we would have a way to be forgiven. So it's good news for all of us that we have this way open, this way that God is offering to us. And so that's the good news. And what Paul's saying is you're distorting this news. And so I want to break this section that I just read down basically into three questions. And the first, they're vital questions regarding the gospel. And the first one is simply this, how is the gospel distorted? Paul's saying, you've been disturbed by these people who have distorted the gospel. So he gets right down. He doesn't know whether to thank God for them or not because he's, he's worried about them. They've, they've been a part of distorting the gospel. They've been listening to people who have distorted the gospel. And when you get into this word distort, it can mean perverted the gospel. They've messed it up. They've distorted it. Really, as you look into that word there, it also means reversed. And I think this has a lot to do with what Paul's saying here. Because here's the thing. To change this news to change the message of the gospel, to change the gospel just a tweak, just a little bit, really reverses the gospel. It turns it upside down. It flips it inside out. It makes it null and void. We cannot tweak the gospel. It stands as what it is. If we try to adjust it just a little bit, we destroy it and make it null and void. That's the gospel. And we can see this in the order of the gospel's impact in our life. I'll give you an example. Here's a question. While we were down there, Carissa, was she's a teacher, and so she was all set to teach in Ohio, but to go to Texas, they have different things, so she had to take this huge exam, which she ended up taking Friday after we were back home. But she took this huge exam, and we were, I was helping her study a little bit. I read her questions. I was just like, you have got to be kidding me. I'm thinking, what? what elementary student could know any of this that a teacher would need to know this to teach the kid? But anyway, this, I'm just giving you an A or a B, okay? So basically, you got a 50% chance, all right? It's multiple choice, and there's only two choices. So here it is. Which is true? Are you ready? All right. Either or, which is true? A, A, does God accept us, and therefore, we live a better life, or do we live a better life and therefore God accepts us? A. It's A. A is the answer. 
If your thinking be, you're distorting the gospel. That's what Paul's saying. And that's what I want to get into. B actually reverses the gospel. Now, here's how liberal churches and conservative churches in our culture, how, how these different churches view this. Liberal churches, if you walk into a liberal church and you say, hey, you know, I believe the gospel, and so I've placed my faith, and again, the, the gospel is simply, I'm jacked up, I'm a sinner, I got issues like all of us, I admit that, and really that deserves punishment from God who's perfectly righteous and tells us how to live. And so I stand condemned, but Jesus came to take my penalty for sin, and through faith, I can have a relationship with God, and my sins are forgiven. So you can go into a liberal church and say, hey, I believe the gospel. I'm saved through faith in Jesus. And they'll respond to you this way. Oh, oh you're saved through, the, through Jesus. That's great. That is great. But just don't be saying that all other religions can't go to God, that, that you can't get to God through other religions. Don't say that. That's great for you, but just don't say that Jesus is the only way. That's what liberal churches say, and that's totally wrong, by the way. And, and actually, we hear a lot of that because that's the kind of the message of the church that I think the media is most in tune with because, as we were talking a few weeks ago, they see religion as totally subjective and never, never objective, so they don't believe there's any truth to it. That's all just true for you, that whole moralistic thing that we talked about with absolute truth. But anyway, that was a different sermon. But here, they're saying, you know, it's, it's the, hey, yeah, that's great for you. Just don't say that other people are wrong. Now, that's the era of liberal churches. Now, conservative churches, like us, who are doctrinally conservative, we might not have a conservative style, but we're doctrinally conservative. The danger for churches like ours is that we would pervert the gospel in a different way, we'd distort it in a different way, that we would, we would, and the reason that distortion can happen is that we would focus more on our sanctification over our justification. I know there's some funky words there, but justification means it's, it's by a, a point when we are justified before God. So that happens when we put our faith in Jesus. He died for our sins. And so now we don't have to pay the penalty of our sins, past, present, and future. Jesus, the, our sins, the penalty of our sins was poured out on Christ. He voluntarily took it. And then in God's sight, we are clothed with Jesus' righteousness. So now, in God's sight, we are righteous. We didn't deserve it. We didn't do anything to earn that. It's just through faith. We're given to that. That's a gift. That's justification. In God's sight, we are justified, even though we didn't deserve it. Sanctification is the process by which we start living a more and more moral life as we follow Jesus. Now, sanctification is an evidence of justification, but Christian sanctification 
never precedes justification. It's an evidence of, but it doesn't precede it. And here's what happens. Because it's so easy, the gospel is so simple to understand. It's so easy. It's just we don't have to physically do anything. We just respond to God's offer of grace through faith. That even we as believers start thinking, that's so easy Maybe I need to help a brother out. Maybe I need to help God out a little bit. Maybe I need to start deserving this a little more. And we cannot deserve it. We will never deserve the gift that God has given us. So that's, that's the error or the danger that conservative churches have. Remember, Jesus said, hey, why do you call me good? Remember that? No one's good but God. The problem is, as we start focusing on our sanctification over our justification, we start thinking, oh, we're better than we used to be, and we start thinking ourselves as good, and that that somehow has contributed to our salvation, but that's never true. So either way, you you can have this perversion of the gospel. The order is important. Now, here's what happens because of that. You go into liberal churches... And you do not see changed lives. You go into liberal churches and everybody's living just like everybody else in our culture. You see no distinction really. But the danger is that you go into conservative churches and you see changed lives. You see a bunch of rule followers, but their hearts have not exactly have not actually been changed. So, yeah, you see they're living differently, but are they living differently because they're just motivated? This is just what we do. This is how we do it. This is how I grow up. This is how my circle of friends are now. So we do a bunch of stuff, but really it's not flowing out of a a transformed heart because true Christianity results in justification and then that which has changed our heart, and through a changed heart from the inside out, we, we then live a different way, sanctification. So does that make sense? I'll, I'll ask one more time, or then we'll review. Does that make sense? Yeah, you do not want the review. I can tell. Okay, all right. So, so here's what we see. Sometimes... People get really busy with religious activities. And and you'll talk to people, and here's their story. Yeah, they'll get really busy with religious activities, but it's really nothing to do based on on a transformed heart. So you'll talk to people, and they'll say, yeah, I did the whole church thing. I did the God thing. I did that for three or four years. Yeah, I've done that, been there, done that. It really didn't work for me. Just not my thing. But when they're saying that, it's, it's almost like somebody was saying this to you. Yeah, I, I, I tried to love that girl. Yeah, that girl I really liked. And so I became, you know, I, I stalked her on Facebook. And I read everything that she wrote. And then I looked at all the books that she liked. And I read every book. And then I saw all the movies she liked. And I watched every movie. But then after a while, it just really wasn't working for me. I mean, it just wasn't happening. So I I tried to love her, 
but I just gave up. And then we would say, dude, do, have you ever even talked to her? Well, no. No, no. you cyber-stalked her. You, you read all her books. You listened to her music, but you don't even know her. Same thing. Some people will say, yeah, I tried that, I did it. No, you never tried Jesus. You tried some religious form of Christianity or what you thought it was, but you never tried Jesus. You never knew him. Because if you did, he would have rocked your world and changed your life. You see, when you feel the weight of your sin... When you become aware, and not everybody in this room will be aware of this, but there'll be a point when you become aware of the weight of your own sin and the guilt that you have before God, that you are guilty. You see, we're all born with this, where we place ourselves on the throne of our lives. We're the king of our lives. We do our own thing. We do what we want to do, how we want to do it. And so we live our life that way. But then we, we learn a truth. We learn a reality that actually we are created by God. And God is a moral God. And God has revealed to us his moral standards, what's right and what's wrong. There is absolute truth. God says there is. And there's right and wrong. And when we start looking at the law, God's standard of righteousness we start feeling the weight of our own guilt, the weight of our own sins. For example, we realize, wow, I've lied. I've lusted. I, I've taken things that weren't mine. I've taken credit for things that I shouldn't have taken credit for. I'm the king of my life, not God. I do what I want to do more than I do what God wants to do. Or I do what I want to do ever instead of what God wants me to do. All those are rebellion against God. All those are sin against, and we feel that weight, and it's serious because sin has to be punished. Just as we would hope, the God of the universe is a just God. But you cannot have justice without penalty. You cannot have justice without punishment. Just like in our, our country, we could not have justice if we didn't penalize wrongdoing. If every time somebody went to court, the judge just said, eh, that's all right. Try not to do it again? Okay, you're good. If that was the reality, well, then there would be nothing inhibiting people from doing wrong, right? It would be a mess. Everybody would believe it would be a mess? It would be a huge mess. We, we know that we have to have penalties in order to have justice, and same with God. The trouble is, we don't like to think about the fact that if we feel the weight of our sin, we also realize that we're separated from God by our sin and we're under his judgment. We owe a penalty. And the, the right, correct, just penalty for all of our sin individually is separation from God forever. That's the right penalty for me and for you. Because we've all violated God's commands. That's what God says. That's his truth. But here's the deal. Here's the good news. Here's the gospel. God loves us anyway. Even in our rebellion, God still loves us. 
And he provides a way by allowing his one and only son, Jesus, who exists in God and Trinity, but he comes and he is born on earth and lives a perfect life with no sin. And so he's the only person who doesn't deserve to die and be separated from God, but he allows himself to be tortured to death, and while he's hanging there on the cross, he yells out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He pays our penalty so that we would have a way to be right with God. That's the good news. That's, that's what God is telling us. And, and it's that faith in him. That, and, and when that happens, when we turn to God in that way, it'll impact every single area of our life. Now, some of you are here and you have come to Christ and you're like, yeah, I've, I'm there. I'm messed up, but I'm there. And maybe a day like this, baptism day, you're sitting there thinking, here's one of these things that I know I should be doing and I'm not doing it. And that right now I'm sitting here, why didn't I sign up? I should have. Well, if that's true of you, if you know you're a Christian and that you've come to God through faith in Jesus alone and you didn't help God in any way or it's not anything to do with you got these good points in your life, nothing contributes to your salvation, just faith. If you know that about yourself, but since that time you haven't been dunked underwater in baptism and you know you should because that's what Jesus tells us to do, I would say, don't miss this chance right now. Stand up right now and walk through those doors. And, and you're thinking, well, I'm not ready. Yeah, I don't have clothes. I don't have a towel. We've got towels. We have shorts. We have T-shirts. We have everything you need right beyond those doors. You have a pastor that will kind of talk you through it and tell you what's going to happen. You don't, if you walk through the doors, you might not even get baptized. It's just, you know, you'll just talk it through. But if you know you need to do that, I'm inviting you right now to get up right now and just head out. It's okay. Right in our service. That's all right. Just go ahead and do that. There's no better time to do it. So just go ahead and head out there as I continue my sermon. What's happening here is Paul's defending the gospel, and he's being criticized. These Judaizers have come in and said, hey, yeah, you guys, you want to be Christians. They came from Jerusalem, but they're saying, you know, there's some Jewish stuff that you haven't done yet that you really need to do in order to become a Christian. And they'll say, well, Paul didn't tell us we had to do that because he's already been here. And they say, well, Paul kind of watered it down. Paul's just, he's into easy believism. Paul's just saying anything you want to hear. Paul didn't tell you about circumcision because grown men don't like to hear about that. It's a downer. So he just left that part out. But we're here to tell you that's really what you need to do. So that's, that's the accusation to Paul. And, and I got to tell you, you know, they're saying Paul's a politician. Paul, he would change his behavior in order to get a hearing, but he would never change the gospel. As a matter of fact, when he's writing the Corinthians, he says, I become all things to all men in order to save some. But he's saying all that for the sake of the gospel. I mean, he would change maybe how he lived, but he would never change the message. He would never tweak the gospel. He would never do that. And so they're saying, hey, you're, you're soft-pedaling the gospel. And he's saying to gain converts, and he says, okay, you think I'm soft on the gospel? You think I'm a man-pleaser? 
You think I'm afraid to say things? Well, try this on for size. You, 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 he says, okay, if you think I'm soft, well, try this on. If anyone ever preaches a gospel that is any way different than the gospel I preached to you when I was there, let him be damned. How do you like that? How's that for man-pleasing? How do you like me now? Let him be accursed. And he says it twice. He's saying, oh, you think I'm a man-pleaser? Try this on. Who's trying to win friends now, Paul's saying. If you alter this message a smidgen, let him be damned for eternity. Can't say it any stronger than that. And by the way, Paul's telling us, look at verse 6. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about the message of the gospel, that they're deserting this, this message, this good news that they've received, and now they're kind of believing this other stuff. But Paul doesn't say you're deserting the message or you're deserting it. He says you're deserting him. Who? God, who authored salvation. That's what he's saying. So how do we distort the gospel? By trying to manipulate it, tweak it, or change it, even a hair's breadth, we gut it and make it mean nothing. That brings us to the second question. How do we know then? Who's the authority on the gospel? Who gets to say? Well, Paul's telling us here, it's not our experience. It's not our feelings. It's not what we think. You see, we have this whole thing in postmodernism where we're thinking, ah, absolute truth, that's all kind of up in the air. People doubt that that even exists, and pretty much it's whatever's true for me is true, whether it's true for you or not. That's not where the Bible's come from. The Bible's telling us there is absolute truth. And here's what Paul's saying. I don't care if you're walking in the woods and an angel shows up and, and downloads some golden tablets to you in person that somehow changes this gospel. I don't care if he's an angel. Let him be accursed. That's what he's saying. By the way, which is what some of our neighbors across the street this morning believe. Paul's saying, let him be accursed. It's not experience. It's not even supernatural experience. That doesn't trump the gospel Paul's saying. And then it's not church leaders either. It's not church hierarchy. It's not church tradition. What's Paul saying? Paul, the greatest church leader that ever lived, who wrote most of the New Testament, he's saying himself, hey, if I ever come to you and I tweak the gospel and I come to you and say, oh, I forgot one more thing. Let me lay this on you. He's saying, throw me out of there. Get rid of me. Let me be damned. That's what he's saying. It's not experience. It's not your feelings. It's not church leaders, church hierarchy. It's nothing like that. It's the word of God. The word of God. The gospel judges the church. The church does not judge the gospel. The church is a creature of the word. It's founded by Christ. Church is a good thing. But the church, the foundation of the church comes from the word of God. It doesn't sit in judgment over the word. The word of God stands supreme in that way. 
And so that's why it's so exciting. When we see people giving their lives to Christ and then submitting to baptism. They submit to baptism not, oh, this will help further or help God save me or this is going to ensure that I'm going to heaven. No, your faith ensures that you're going to heaven. Baptism is just something God tells you to do. It's just an act of obedience. Not getting baptized won't cause you not to go to heaven. It's just we, once we're saved, we feel the, the weight of our sin and the forgiveness. We follow God in gratitude. So right now I'd like our, our musicians, our music team to come out. And we're going to get ready to do baptism. And I want you guys to be pumped up for this because this is a time of celebration for us. So let's welcome in those who are coming to get baptized today. Let's give them a round of applause. So I want us to get our joy on. If there's somebody you know and you want to come up a little closer, we do have a few seats right down here. But we got Forrest, and he's going to take it over right now. We're going to see uh, some, some people follow the Lord in baptism. All right, good morning. We'll celebrate with these that are following the Lord in baptism. Amen. Trust in Christ and Christ alone is your Savior. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay. Yeah. 
we're gonna do you first. I hold this hand. All right. All right, this is John and Debbie Matthews. Debbie, you wanna go ahead and kneel? Okay, kneel, you good? And Debbie, have you trusted Christ and Christ alone as your Savior? Yes, sir. Baptize in the name of the Father. Okay, relax. And the Son. Okay, relax. It's okay. All right. Okay. Okay. All right, you want to hold your nose? Okay. Let's just make sure you can. Okay. And the Spirit. God bless you. All right, just hang, hang close. You're okay. Stay right here. All right, John. Go ahead and kneel, John. Oh. Have you trusted Christ that Christ alone as your Savior? Yes, I do. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right. God bless you. This is Janet Arevalo. And Janet, have you trusted Christ and Christ alone as your Savior? I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Awesome. God bless you. you okay? This is Brittany Durbin. Brittany, have you trusted Christ and Christ alone as your Savior? Yes. All right. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Awesome. God bless you. This is Della Ladd. And Della, have you trusted Christ and Christ alone as your Savior? I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All right. Okay. God bless you. Congratulations. This is Morgan Bates. <laughs> hey Morgan, have you trusted Christ and Christ alone for your salvation? I baptize you in the name of the Father. And the Son. And the Holy Spirit. Alright, God bless you. 
step. All right, you don't need to kneel, okay? I think you're good right here. All right, this is Lydia Schumacher. <laughs> All right, Lydia. Have you trusted Christ and Christ alone as your Savior? Okay, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> All right. Woo. Good job. Okay, this is Ron Winky. And Ron, have you trusted Christ and Christ alone as your Savior? I have. Great. I'm going to baptize you then in the name of the Father and the Son. It's okay. Get your balance, okay? Ready? One more time. Go ahead, bend over. Okay. One more time. And the Spirit. <laughs> All right, buddy. God bless you. Yeah. You want to wait on your son? Yeah. You want to stay right here? Okay. Yeah. All right. Here and this is Mark Winky. This is Ron's son. And Mark, have you trusted Christ and Christ alone as your Savior? Yes, sir. All right. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son. And the Holy Spirit. All right, buddy. God bless. God bless you too, Mark. Well. Jonathan Zanoni. Jonathan, have you trusted Christ and Christ alone as your Savior? Yes. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right. Congratulations, buddy. This is Bruce Shank. And Bruce, have you trusted Christ and Christ alone for your salvation? I do. Okay. I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All right. Yeah, I'll help you out. Got it. Thank you. All right, good buddy. Okay. We're done. can't tell you what it does for my heart, probably the same for you, uh, to see people following Christ and then follow him in obedience to baptism 
And just, uh, just as a, a mark, it's an outward symbol of, of an inward reality that's happened in their heart. And we're so excited for all these. I, I just want to talk about one more thing before we wrap, and that is we answered two questions, and I have a third. One is, hey, how, how, how does the gospel get distorted? And then we talked about who's the authority over the gospel. And then the last thing is simply, what is the gospel? Well, we've kind of been answering that question all the way through. And I got to tell you, just this last week, I had the opportunity to speak at, at Kiwanis. I've done that before, and they asked me to come, and it's through Jerry Miller, but asked me to come and speak on, a, on really our orphanages. They were just kind of looking at making more of a global impact and what that might look like. So we're talking about orphanages, and we also help orphans in Africa and on the Burma border and different things. But I got to tell you, anytime I'm doing that, my whole thing, I mean, when I'm saying yes and I'm going to talk about in, to anybody about anything, I'm trying to think, how do I communicate the gospel? Because the gospel is the most important message that I have, that anyone has, that none, nothing else really matters. It's the gospel. The gospel is everything. And here it is. To understand the gospel, it's just those things that we've been talking about first. You have to understand that you have done things God says are wrong, and because he created you, that, that's like rebellion. It, it, it's cosmic treason, and that you deserve rightly to be punished, just like me. And it's when you understand the weight of that sin that we've been talking about, but then you understand the good news, the gospel, which is that even though God existed in eternity and trinity, Jesus left heaven and allowed himself to be born as a human being, humbly, simply. He lived a perfect life with no sin and ultimately, voluntarily, allowed himself to be tortured to death on the cross as a sacrifice, as a substitute for us in order to pay for my individual sins and your individual sins. And I believe if you were the only person on earth, Jesus would have died to pay for your sins. And then when we come to that understanding and we realize that the way we get that accredited to us, to count for us, is simply through faith. God invites all, everybody, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, everybody he invites. And we just say yes by responding in faith and and, but when I say respond in faith, what, what I mean is that we believe Jesus is who he said he is, the very Son of God. And we trust in the fact that his death was enough to pay the penalty for all our sins, past, present, and future. And when we put our faith in him in that way, we're basically asking God to come into our life to take the throne of our life, which where he should have been all along, be the king of our life, and show us how to live, help us to follow him. That's what it means to be a Christian. And I don't want to close the service without um, making it possible, just creating a, a, a place, a time, for you to respond to this most important message. And so right now, I'd like everyone to bow your heads.
And I'm going to lead in a prayer. And before I do that, I just want you to understand, there are no, there's no little set order of words that we can speak that obligates God to do something for us. God knows our hearts. But if we express these, if we trust God, that's what faith means, trust him. And, and through that trust, that faith in him, we can express these things to God that, that I'm going to say. And only you and God know if you're sincere. But, but if that's sincere, God promises that you will be his forever. And he'll come into your life and he'll never leave you. That's his promise. And so if you don't know if you've ever come to God that way, realizing that this is not about doing church stuff. Getting baptized does not contribute to your salvation in any way, whether you do it as a kid or an adult. It's really supposed to be just an evidence of something that's happened, just a symbol of what's happened in your heart. So I'm going to speak a prayer, say a prayer. And as our heads are bowed, if you make that your own prayer, uh, if you express those same thoughts to God, maybe in different words or the same words, and you don't even have to do it out loud because God knows your every thought. That's what it means to become a believer, to trust in Jesus. So if you think you're ready, if you're trusting in, in God right now, you can express it to him this way. Just pray along with me in your own heart silently. Something like this. Father God, I understand uh, that I've done things that are wrong according to you. And I've rebelled against you. I've been living life my own way. And God, I understand that that's in opposition to you, and I'm sorry. And God, I also have come to understand that you love me, even though I don't deserve it. You love me more than I could have ever imagined. You've loved me so much that you have given your son. You've allowed Jesus to come and voluntarily give up his life for me to pay my sin penalty. And so, God, right now I'm trusting in, in Jesus and Jesus alone for my salvation. I have nothing to bring to the table, nothing to contribute. It's just Jesus. And, God, I ask you to forgive me based on he paid my penalty and I invite you to come into my life and help me to live in a way that pleases you best I can. God, thanks for loving me like that. In Christ's name, amen. Just one more thing, and then we're close. I'd like us to bow our heads again, and I'm just going to ask you, if, as far as you know, if that's the first time you prayed that prayer, I would like to know that. I don't want to embarrass you. So I'd like everyone to bow their heads. And I'm going to ask half of the auditorium at a time. So the, your left side, the left on Smith Road side here, on your left, half of the auditorium, if you, with our heads bowed, I'm looking around, if you just kind of signal me that you prayed that prayer, as far as you know, for the first time, I'll, I'll know to pray for you. I see you right there, sir. Thank you. Thank you, too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Just pop it up, see you back there, just where I can see you, and then right back down. Thanks. Just kind of let me make eye contact with you. Thank you back there. Just put it up and down. Thanks. Anyone else on this left side? 
hey, Kevin, pray for me as I start a new relationship with God today. Okay. How about the right side of the auditorium? You're right. Hey, Kevin, I, I prayed, that, prayed that prayer. Just Hey, just put it up and then right back down. I see you, sir. Thank you. Just up and down. Anyone else up and down? Let, let me see you. Make eye contact with me. And then just put your hand right back down. That's all I'm going to ask you to do. Just like to see it. Okay. All right, let's all stand for prayer.